Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. All right. Hello, modern lovers. How many of you have been through a breakup, and I don't mean one with a lover, I mean one with a close friend, maybe even your BFF your best friend forever in the whole wide world. And that is a pain that is unlike any other. We're going to talk about that tonight. It's something that we often find is swept under the rug. But get this, 40%. I said 40, that's a lot of people. 40% of us have experienced the deepest, darkest pain when you go through the breakup with your best friend and our guest tonight is a therapist who went through that very thing when she picked up her phone one day only to hear her closest friends her very closest friends say the dread words that cut her off forever and I've been there and man is it painful when the person you thought would have your back forever your partner in crime a trusted friend leaves you high and dry you're going to meet dr sharon livingston she's one of the most prominent people in the field of motivational research she's the author of get lost girlfriend how i found myself when my best friend dumped me dr sharon has been featured in the new york times washington post the daily news newsday and lots of other media outlets her website i'll give it to you right now is Girlfriend. Dot com. All right, Dr. Sharon Livingston, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Well, now, how did you and your bestie end up broken up? And I've, I've gone through breakups with my bestie, so I'm very invested in finding out more about how this all comes about. So... I think that sometimes there is this connection that you have with someone and it feels like it's the most incredible connection in the whole world and it's meant to be. And in fact, um, it's sort of like an addiction and we don't realize it at first because it feels so good. And then something real life comes into play and you realize that, well, maybe this wasn't, the best thing in the whole world, although it really still feels so good. We laugh together. We have all these commonalities. But something goes amok. And if you're at all like me, what I do when that happens is I go into overdrive and try to compensate. And um, so I became her therapist in in this case. I I I mean, Brenda, what was it like for you? What happened with you? 
You know, for me, it was, I wouldn't say I'd use the word addiction, but I think this is kind of what happens when a lot of new relationships that are important begin, whether it's a love relationship, because we talk about love here, but this kind of love starts the same way as romantic love. I finally found someone who understands me, I understand them, we speak yes. the same language, we're interested in yes. the same things, and we can talk for hours at a time when we get together, when we see each other. It doesn't matter if it's been months. It's kismet. You know, that great chemistry starts all over again. And I think the core of it, for me anyway, and I know this is true for a lot of people, is you find somebody that you feel gets you and you get them. And it feels really, really good because from where I sit, I know what I valued most in my friend, and I cried myself to sleep, let me tell you, for many, many nights after this breakdown, because it felt like such a terrible betrayal to me of, you know, the trust I placed in this person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what happened for me. That's what I felt. It feels like the worst betrayal in the whole world because yeah, you even girl, say that it's worse. You say that losing your best friend can be worse than a divorce. And I've been there too, and I know that's its own special hell. <laughs> so that's quite a comparison. Well, because when it's a friend, it's a heart connection. It's not just you know, it's it's not just the the sexual attraction. In fact, it's not the sexual attraction at all. It's heart to heart. And it's as if you gave a piece of your anatomy, your heart, to that other person. And to reclaim that and to feel whole again, I mean, they have the key to your heart. And um, unless you can look in the mirror and see yourself with your whole heart intact, it's, it's devastating. And yeah. how can, you know, it's not based on sexual attraction. It's based on this understanding. Like, you know, Brenda, if you and I got together, I can already tell, you know, we would kind of fall in love because I can tell with your personality, like you like to connect, you want to uh, share on a very deep level, and that, that's an incredible thing. And so when something goes awry with that and that gets lost, it's like you lose yourself. Exactly. Exactly, and it it is a really, really big loss. And in the case of my friendship, this is a friendship that started long time ago. We're talking long, 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 long years, long years of friendship, longer than even my marriage lasted, the friendship, with lots of sharing and support. Um, You know, some professional issues got in the way, and, um, you know, that's, it's a very tricky kind of thing. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but, um, you know, I'll just say it was professional issues that broke up a long-standing friendship. It's the worst. That is absolutely the worst. And when that happens, it's like there's nothing that can fix it. And the only thing you can do is fix yourself and find find the love for yourself within yourself and look in the mirror and start seeing. It's almost as if you have to take Windex and start clearing the, the, the haze that's on there, the fog, so you can see who you really are and 
you know, you know that, that thing that, where they say, what anybody else thinks of me is none of my business? Oh, God, yes, I love that. Terry Cole Whitaker <laughs> wrote a book called What You Think of Me is None of My Business. <laughs> and, I mean, it's so perfect, isn't it? Because as, particularly as women, I think we tend to give over our, you know, perceptions of ourselves to other people. And it doesn't matter. I mean, oh, my God, you know, I've, I've been doing therapy for years, and that still happened. I went mm-hmm. from being an equal with this other person to, oh, okay, I understand her. I'll just treat her. Well, um, no, you won't. You're, you're a human being. You're not her therapist. You're her friend, and you're devastated. You can't just treat her. And, uh, you know, that becomes a disaster. You can't Yeah, so one become... of the questions I want to ask is when it comes to you know, one of the things we talk a lot about with modern love are what we call selection errors. Does that apply when we're talking about friends? Do we sometimes choose friends that also match our dysfunctional patterns that we want to work out? Because I don't think choosing a partner based on your dysfunction is all bad as long as you get to work on it and figure out why you chose the person, what's going on. Does that apply to friendship, do you think? A hundred percent, even more so, because when it's a, a you know woman-woman friendship, it's your mother, and if you have unresolved stuff going on with your mother, you're repeating it. And what they what they say in psychoanalysis is that you repeat to forget until you repeat to work through. So mm-hmm. we keep repeating that pattern over and over and over again until we get that aha where we realize what we're doing, and the last repeat we work it through so we don't do it again. Exactly. So yeah. So yeah, yeah, I know you you get this, don't you? I do get it, and I do want all of our listeners, whether you're listening live or later via recording, to really take a look at your friendship because friendships can be just like a love relationship without the sexual attraction, as Susan has said, where you're getting into a place where some of your issues could get triggered. And I know for a fact that with my friend, a whole lot of stuff that was deep from her childhood and my childhood definitely got triggered. I know it. No question in my mind about it. So those of you who'd like to join the conversation, if you have a question, you can call us up old school at 347-989-0776. Or you can send a question via Facebook, Dr. Brenda Wade. Tweet it at us, Dr. Brenda Wade. Or just pick up that phone, as I said earlier, and call us at 347-989-0776. And let's talk about how you're doing in your friendships. Have you had a breakup or are you headed for a breakup? Or would you like to head one off? We can talk about all that and more with Dr. Sharon Livingston. And, you know, so many people that I've met, when they hear my story, they'll come up to me and tell me about uh, a friendship. And I'll say, well, when did that happen? 30 years ago. They're still holding on to it because they never worked it through. Mm. And it is something that has to be worked through. Now, why do you say that texting kills relationships? Well, 
I mean, I, I, I think you're going to know the answer to this intuitively. But what happens is the emotion that is behind the text does not get communicated accurately. And so we project onto those words feelings that the other person may or may not be feeling. And that's how we get in trouble. We get into a lot of trouble with that interpretation. So you're saying that because we can't hear the voice, which is what reveals the tone, emotional tone that somebody's feeling, that the texting is dangerous. And that's true for love relationships as well as friendships. Although for modern people, one of the primary ways we communicate is through text. I'm shocked how much time I spend texting. Right. And so if it's just about facts or you're telling a joke, but even with jokes sometimes we can get in trouble. Um, One of my friends, I have to tell you that since I wrote this book and since I went through this, as soon as I decided, you know, maybe I don't need a best friend, all of a sudden they came out of the woodworks and I had like 15 people who wanted to be my best friend, which was, of course, it was wonderful. But it was also kind of funny that once I you know, resumed my confidence in myself and I worked through the things where I could see myself as my own best friend, then people were loving me. Well, that's interesting. Now, what do you mean by see myself as my own best friend? Oh, so I would get up in the morning and I would lament. I would look in the mirror. I would would judge myself. I would see this. I would see that. And no wonder she didn't want to be my friend. And then I... I decided that I was just going to be with myself. I started doing a lot of journaling. I, um, I would talk to myself in the mirror. And, you know, if you look in the mirror long enough, you start changing. And the things that you saw as flaws start to mellow. And you start to appreciate who you see. And so I would, I would have these conversations with myself in the mirror where I would say to myself, so what do we want to do today? As if I was another. So me and my mirror image were talking. And I started doing things with myself that I ordinarily would do with another person. But I, like I took myself for walks. I took myself for drives. I took myself to the movies. I took myself to art classes. I, I went and did with myself the things that I really like to do. And so in that now, sense... how does that connect to... What you said earlier, because I think there's a connect the dots moment here, which is how we were or how our mothers were with us. Because I certainly know that there's a playing out of those roles. And if you chose a friend who was like your mom and then you become your own friend, is that a way of healing what happened with mom? Yes, absolutely. You know, in the case of my mother, it was whatever she wanted to do because I just wanted her attention. So I would try to figure out, I mean, I was a smart kid, and I would try to figure out what she needed, and I would do what she wanted. And to do what I wanted and try to figure out what I wanted for myself was so different. Mm. You know, I'll give you an example. I, I I was learning how to be an interviewer when I was three years old. My mother would come home. And she would iron. And I had three older brothers and a dad. And she would have 27 shirts. Her typical week was 27 shirts that she would sprinkle and roll up and put in the basket. And I'd have to hand them to her. And then she would 
you know, she would do the front panel and she had her home, you know, the collar and before you did the rest of it. So she had her own particular way of ironing shirts. And so that was my time to be with her. And I would say to her, I would say, Mommy, what was I like when I was a baby? I was three years old, so. And she would say, oh, you were cute. And I realized that if I asked her that question, I didn't get much of an answer. But if I said, Mommy, what were you like when you were a baby? I would get this long answer. She would start telling me all about herself, and she would tell me stories about the old country. And, you know, she was born in Czechoslovakia, and, you know, we were Slavic. And she would tell me these stories. And I learned that I had to put other people's needs and wants and interests above my own in order to get attention. Wow, was, how interesting. I, and then did you, in your I friendship, did you that. play that out? So you repeated Absolutely. that pattern in your friendship. Yeah, yeah, because you said you started to uh, actually treat your friend. Ooh. Right. Okay, I so know. we have our first question. Let's take this question. This is from Jack. Okay, Jack doesn't say where he or could be she, could be right. J-A-C, could be Jackie or Jacqueline. In any case, mm-hmm. Jack, thanks for your question. The question is, Dr. Sharon, I'm still weeping over my best friend and I breaking up. Is there any way to work this out? So perhaps there is. The most important thing you can do is to cry over it, to have a fit over it, to write about it, to look at yourself in the mirror and and really have some compassion for yourself. I don't care what you did. You could have made the worst mistakes in the world, but if you're the one who's crying and weeping, you're probably blaming yourself. And maybe you are to blame in some way. It doesn't matter. What matters now is to have compassion for yourself. What is it that you need? And if you can't get it from her, where might you be able to get it from? How can you give to yourself in a way that is caring and nurturing and appreciating of who you are. I don't care if you made a mistake. It's okay. We are human. We all make mistakes. But what is something about you you could love and appreciate and tell yourself about? Because I love you already just that you're asking that question. So I want you to love yourself. Nice. Now, what if you find yourself in competition with your so-called best friend? Well, that's human. I mean, um, some people really relish being a little competitive. Um, you know, I have, a, I have one friend, you know, we joke about how we do our Fitbits. And do you use a Fitbit, Brenda? I don't know if you do or not. But I, it's a, you know, anything you measure gets better. So I wear a Fitbit. I, I actually stick it on my bra so it's always there. And it's got like a little clip. And so this one particular friend that I have, um, I have been doing more and more steps. I, you know, it started out that I was only doing 10,000 because you have to do 10,000. And now I do like 20 or 22 or 23. And she'll say, okay, how many steps so far? And this woman is very, very fit, and she's amazing. I'm, I'm a mediocre fitness person. I'm just kind of average. She is so fit. I mean, she's unbelievable. Um, and so I spoke to her on Sunday, and she said, um, so how many steps have you done? I'm sure you've been up for hours. And I said, 
Oh, 22,000. She said, okay, go sit down. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. Okay, enough already with the steps. <laughs> That's just sad. Okay. So, so what if your friend has other best friends that you feel you're competing with? How do you handle that? Well, if it's an issue of someone having a bunch of best friends, you can only have one best friend. You can have lots of friends, but you can only have one best friend. And if someone is telling you they have a bunch of best friends, um, they're lying. It's a lie. They don't. They, they're a little bit afraid of intimacy. They don't really want to have one special friend. And I would consider finding another one. So you're saying if your friend has multiple best friends, then you should get another best friend. But you might want to consider that this person doesn't have any best friends. Because someone who says that to you, they're setting up a competition. They want you to fight over them. And frankly, why would you want to do that? Hmm. Okay. All right. So here's another question that's coming. Your best friend blurts out criticism and has a self-righteous attitude. What do you do about that? Um, I mean, that hurts. That really, really hurts. So number one, when that happens, acknowledge to yourself there's something wrong here. People should not be putting you down. That's not okay. It's not okay. And on the other hand, when someone is self-righteous, it means they're very self-critical, and they have a hard time confronting themselves, so they confront you instead. And, Brenda, you had something to say there, I could tell. No, no, no. I'm saying that's interesting. Yeah. Keep going. And, And so... You can take a stab at being open with them and saying, you know, when you say blah, 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 I'm wondering what that means to you because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of hurtful to say that to someone and just see what they say. And if they get really defensive and they don't come back even like, you know, a few days later and apologize, I would start thinking, I don't know, maybe this is not a really good candidate for me to have as my best friend. And what does this remind me of? Who else treated me like this? It was kind of what you were saying earlier, Brenda. Like, what are we repeating? Are we repeating how we were treated when we were children with a, a parent that was hypercritical? And, you know, you might want to back off a little bit if that's the case and start treating yourself much more nicely. So I want everyone to be really, really kind to themselves to, to cry over the pain that you had with your mom when you were a kid or with your dad or, you know, maybe an older sibling, but not repeat it. Don't go back and do that again. It hurts too much. And life is too short to, to have abuse in your life. Oh, so here's one. We have another question coming in. What sure. is the best thing to do with my best friend who's going through crisis after crisis and it's getting exhausting? Wow, that's hard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, first of all, um, you have and to... And thanks to the see, person who sent the question that came in anonymously. Oh, that's it's a wonderful question. Um, you have to see how much you really can take, because when somebody's doing that, they're repeating the abuse that they had. They're finding it 
in the external world and they're repeating it, they're abusing themselves by choosing those situations. And it's, it's a lot to take. And is there, is there a way, you know, think to yourself, is there a way where I can gently point out that, wow, you know, the last six months, so much stuff has been going on that's really painful. I wonder what, I wonder what you make of that. And, and see if they could talk about it a bit or, you know, is, is, this, is this something that I can help you with? Like, how could I possibly help you? And just see what they say. If, if it's more and more you have to take care of me, you have to take care of me, you have to take care of me, it might be that that's too much and that you yeah, can't and handle Yeah, and the question also is to go back to your other question, which is am I repeating the pattern I had with my parents? If you, yes. like your description of yourself as a little girl taking care of uh, your mom basically trying to get her to pay attention and to talk to you, if you're repeating that pattern to Anonymous who sent us the question, if it mirrors what you grew up with, be really careful that you do what you need to do to heal that. Because once yes. it's healed, you can decide what to do in the friendship. You can decide, but you've got to do work on yourself. That's definitely, for me, with the breakup with my bestie, I really, really decided to dig in and do a lot of work on myself to see where, you know, I let things go by, where I didn't speak up for myself and set appropriate boundaries and so ended up in, you know, really serious conflict that should never happen. But I was busy trying to make nice and let things, you know, go a certain way when I shouldn't have. I really should have spoken up long time ago, and I recognized that in my family I wasn't given a voice, and so it was really easy for me to just go along with things and to be super kind and understanding of what I felt, you know, was very uh, being a good friend, and I wasn't being a good enough friend to myself. So, you know, this is an important conversation for me. I've got skin in the game, and I'm learning a lot. Thanks so much, Sharon. So how about being in a friendship where you're walking on eggshells around your friend? Oh, that's, that's one of the biggest symptoms that there's something really, really wrong and that you are not being nice to yourself. If you're doing that, that I mean, who wants to do that? How can you be real? How can you feel loved? If you're walking on eggshells, you feel guilty, you feel shame, you feel like there's something really wrong with you, and that that's not okay. You need to take a step back and start to look at yourself with love and consideration and take care of yourself. Go and do some other things for yourself. You're walking on eggshells, you're in trouble. And I know that, you know, from... So from let me get one more question in really quickly before we run out of time. This is from Tom. Tom says he's a gay man and his best friend is straight. And sometimes they have conflicts over his boyfriends. Well, wow, that's very, very interesting. I mean, I need to hear more about that to understand what the conflicts are. But possibly... Tom, we appreciate your question, and we're going to take a stab at it, okay? So, you know, possibly there's, there's envy and jealousy going on. And, um, 
on the one hand, your friend is saying that he's open to hearing about your boyfriends, but on the other hand, he wants you for himself. So, I mean, it's very flattering, um, but also it sounds conflicted. So there's some conflict going on there, and maybe you need to find out what's really going on and, and ask. You may want him for himself in a sexual way? Well, maybe it's not. You know, there there are some people who have um, love sex feelings towards same-sex people, but they don't feel it's okay to express it. They're, mm-hmm. they're not okay with it with themselves. And yeah, so we know there's a fair that. amount of that going around these days with what and, just happened in Orlando, yeah. Right. And so um, perhaps um, he's jealous because he wants you for himself, mm. even, even if he doesn't want to have sex with you or he doesn't. Now, he doesn't is that a friendship you. that can work out typically where there is a partner who is of one sexual orientation, the other partner is of another? Is that a more complicated friendship? Well, it is definitely complicated, but why can't it work out? Of course it could work out. It, I mean, you have to have rules in place. And um, is it difficult? Probably. Is it impossible? No, it could work out. But, but you have to, it has to be spoken about, talked through, and decisions made about it, and, and checked in every few months, you know, every year, whatever, because things so change. say more about check-ins, because that's a really important tool for friendships. Because a lot of these things we've been talking about, we just have a few minutes left, but a lot of things we've talked about, the signs of a toxic friendship that you have in your book, the competition, the um, being on the emotional roller coaster with a friend, and a lot of these things, the toxic signs, some of that, if people checked in more, might be caught a lot earlier. Right. So why not every three months, every six months, um, ask people how you're doing? You know, as a salesperson, when you're working with a client, you check in with them on a regular basis to see how you're doing so you can improve things. Mm -hmm. And you want them to check in with you as well. You know, how are they doing as a client? So, 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 Brenda, how am I doing on this call with you tonight? You're doing great, Sharon. (laughs) A lot of valuable information. And it's certainly one of the things I'm noticing is that a lot of your information and advice applies to love relationships too. Love relationships need check-ins as well as friendships. So I would say to everybody, borrow, do what I call when I'm coaching people in our our various classes and seminars, I always say when one person is getting information, borrow the benefits. So borrow the benefits and take all of these benefits into your love life as well as your friendships. Because in a way, of course, a friendship is a love relationship, isn't it? It just doesn't have the sex. Right. Right, exactly. So you get the last word. Dr. Sharon Livingston is our guest tonight. She wrote the book, Best Friends. It's a Get Lost Girlfriend, How I Found Myself When My Best Friend Dumped Me. Her website is www.getlostgirlfriend.com. You get the last word, Dr. Sharon Livingston. What would you say you want to sign off with about friendships breaking up? Well, the most important thing is to love yourself 
And if you can do that, friends will be coming out of the woodwork to be with you, whether it's, um, you know, regular friendships or whether it's love sex. The more you can love yourself, the more other people love you because you project that. If you feel lovable in your core, everybody will love you. And that's what I want for all of us. Ah, beautiful. Well, everyone deserves to love themselves and have lots and lots of friends in your life who really are quality friendships who've got your back, not the kind that stick the knife in your back. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Sharon, and thank you to our wonderful producer, Mr. LeGrand Green, our associate producer, Cliff Dunning, and to all of you modern lovers, I love you. Blessings. Be with you again next week.